chapter 8 tonight. You may recall the book of Leviticus begins with two Hebrew words. Anyone remember what those words are? It's the Jewish title for the book. Va Yikra. Va Yikra. Say it with me one time. Va Yikra. Very good. You're speaking Hebrew fluently. It's beautiful. Va Yikra, which means then he called. The opening words of Leviticus chapter 1, verse 1, then he called, and oftentimes in the Hebrew scriptures, the very first few words are the title of the book from a Jewish perspective. And so, Vayikra, then he called, which should tell us who the recipients of this book are. The called. The called. This book is written for and to the called. The equivalent word in the Greek is kaleo, where we get ekklesia. The called, the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, we preach Christ crucified to Jews a stumbling block and to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. God is calling. And this book is the calling of God to his people. It is to those who are the called. And you are the called if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. Therefore, may we receive this as the calling of God tonight. Amen? Amen. Father, we come into your word listening because we recognize throughout this beautiful, amazing, striking graphic book, we recognize that you are calling And I pray that by your word, alive and active, living and sharper than any two-edged sword, and by your Holy Spirit poured out among us here tonight, poured out on your people, the called, I pray, Lord, we would simply hear you. As we've prayed so often, Lord Jesus, your own words, that we might hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Oh, give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Chapter 8, verse 1, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him, and the garments, and the anointing oil, and the bull of the sin offering, and the two rams, and the basket of unleavened bread, and assemble all the congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. So Moses did, just as the Lord commanded him. When the congregation was assembled at the doorway of the tent of meeting, Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded to do. Now we've been preparing for that. Six chapters or so, five and a half chapters of here are the five offerings, the cameos of Christ, those beautiful pictures, each offering unique and picturesque of the offering of Jesus himself. We've been through all of those. Then we turn direction in chapter 6, verse 8 through chapter 7, looking at the priests and their duties and their portions with the offerings and and how they're supposed to be involved. And now it's time. Now we're here. Thus begins what I'm calling an extraordinary ordination. Nothing ordinary about this. This is the beginning of what has been called over the centuries the Aaronic priesthood, or some Jewish scholars call it the Aaronide priesthood. I think they go with Aaronide because Aaronic sounds so close to ironic and they don't want people confused. (laughs) But consider the scene. Even as it's set before us, if you just look at the first few verses 
with Aaron and his sons and the garments and the anointing oil and the bowl of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and the assembled congregation at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Man, it sounds a lot like church. I think we've got church here. About to have church. The high priest is here. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Got to have the high priest to have church. And we do. And the sons in the congregation are assembled. Matthew 18, 20, Jesus said, For where two or three have gathered together in my name, I am there in their midst. Which is marvelous because even in these days of social distancing, all we need is two or three, Right? And he's here. So we have the high priest. We have the, the congregation gathered. The priestly garments are prepared. Isaiah 61, verse 10, he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness. The anointing oil is ready. 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, as for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you. You have no need for anyone to teach you. Okay. No, no, sorry. You have no need for anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Now, John's talking about teaching in the context of false teachers and legitimate teachers. And he's saying the Holy Spirit will alert you, your anointing will alert you as to whether or not the teaching is true or false. You know, you have the anointing. Open up the word. You can test all things. So the anointing oil's ready. The sacrificial offerings are at hand. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. The bread of the presence is, well, present. <laughs> John 6, 35, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst, and all of these things come together and happen at the doorway. Jesus said in John 10, verse 7, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. And all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Tell you what, any sheep that entered into the tabernacle courts didn't go in to be saved. Things have changed a bit under our great high priest, Jesus. But I look at these things and simply this laundry list, if you will, of things brought together. They're ready. It's time for priestly ordination, and they are going to have church. The called, the church. The church that, that doesn't replace Israel. I always like to highlight that, make sure we're aware of that. God's got two programs going on. The program with the Jewish people on hold but it's about to be stirred up and get going again. Program with the church is another one, and he's working both. But there are striking similarities between the priestly tribe, the priestly leadership of Israel, and the royal priesthood of the church. And that's why we've been doing this whole priest in training thing. As we've looked at the scriptures through Leviticus so far, priests in training, that's you, that's me. And the similarities are remarkable in how the Lord calls his people and prepares his royal priesthood to serve. And so as we enter into now this ordination of Aaron and his sons tonight, watch closely, pay attention, 
Pray for application to your life as a priest in training. Verse 6 tells us, Then Moses had Aaron and his sons come near, and he washed them with water. Many Jewish scholars believe this was the mikvah. That is the full immersion bath. Baptism didn't start with the first century church. Baptism had gone on long before that as a practice in Judaism, the mikvah, the full immersive cleansing. And we see this right here with Aaron as he comes to be ready to be prepared and Moses and Aaron and his, had Aaron and his sons come near and Moses washed them and we believe this was full immersion. That's the picture, that's the assumption that's made here Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I am with you always to the very end of the age. So it's not a new concept, this idea of baptism. When Jesus told his disciples to go baptize, they knew what he was talking about. It wasn't new information. Well, how do we do that? And what's that supposed to look like? Baptizo in the Greek is to immerse. The mikvah was the immersion bath for the Hebrew people. But understand this, that they come to the doorway here, and as priests in training, we learn from this, you come to the doorway, and at the very beginning of this ordination, there is a full body washing. There is an immersion. There's a baptism, if you will. After this, all the priests needed to do was simply to wash their hands and their feet at the bronze laver. So a full body washing on ordination day, and then it was just hands and feet. The only exception would be on Yom Kippur once a year, and that would only be the high priest, and he would have a full immersion again at that time as he went in to atone for the people. But the common priestly duties now would just be wash your hands and your feet. Maybe use a little hand sanitizer. I don't know if they did that. You know. But John 13, 10 says, he who has bathed needs only to wash his feet, Jesus speaking, but is completely clean, and you are clean. Jesus said, but not all of you. Of course, he was talking about Judas. But the parallels to baptism in this washing of Aaron and his sons are obvious. This was, again, immersive. It was passively received. Aaron and his sons did not wash themselves. Moses washed them which is an interesting thing to note. We see that it happens at the outset of ministry. We see that it doesn't atone for sin, this full body cleansing. And in the same way, baptism does not expiate or propitiate for sins. In our case, no, the blood does that. The blood was atonement, blood of animals. The blood of Christ is our propitiation, our expiation, not the water of baptism not to diminish the value or the importance of the full immersion experience and what baptism represents, but it's not the water that cleanses, it's the blood that makes us clean. And this portrays right here at the outset their consecration. Remember the word consecration has to do with being set apart for a specific purpose. It's, it's holiness. And then after this consecration, which is so similar to our baptism, the priest will be in a continual mode of sanctification, an ongoing sanctification. That's you and me, priests in training. We're consecrated to the Lord, and then we continue in sanctification. Our lives are the sanctification process, which is why Paul said Christ loved the church 
and gave himself up for her, Ephesians 5.25, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. All her glory. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. Listen, the church in all her glory. This has to be a glory that is given to the church, not generated by the church. It's a glory given. Because in reality, Isaiah 64 verse 6 tells us all our righteous deeds are like filthy garments. Speaking of garments, verse 7. He put the tunic on him and girded him with the sash and clothed him with the robe and put the ephod on him. And he girded him with the artistic band of the ephod with which he tied it to him. And then he placed the breastpiece on him. And in the breastpiece, he put the urim and the tumim and he placed the turban on his head. And on the turban at its front, he placed the golden plate. Remember the golden plate that said, holy to the Lord, kadosh Yahweh. And then the holy crown. It's called just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Remember, these garments were not fashioned. They were not sewn. They were not stitched by the priests. They were provided for the priests. They were given to the priests. They were received by the priests. All Aaron did was put them on. All he did was wear them. You know, we can even take pride in what we wear. Isn't that a silly thing? Nice shirt. Oh, thank you. I picked it out. <laughs> As if, you know, you had anything to do with the clothing that you wore except that you picked it out or maybe someone bought it for you. See, in most cases, my wife buys most of my clothes, so I can't even claim that. And yet we take pride in what we wear. And to that I say, may our pride remember the bride. May our pride remember the bride. What do you mean? Revelation 19.8. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. The priestly robes were given to the priest. The bride receives the bridal clothes, which is that fine linen. So Paul says in Romans 13.14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regards to its lusts. So Aaron is now dressed. All of these things, and I'm not gonna go over them again. We, we looked at each one of these aspects of the priestly garments in a prior study, and if you missed that, I encourage you to go back and look at these. They're all emblematic of greater things. But we see Aaron all dressed up with one place to go. Into the tabernacle. But, but not yet, not yet. Verse 10. Moses then took the anointing oil and anointed the tabernacle and all that was in it and consecrated them. He sprinkled some of it on the altar seven times and anointed the altar and its, all its utensils and the basin and its stand to consecrate them. Get this picture, that this sprinkling of the anointing oil on the tabernacle was to consecrate it. Again, consecrate, to set apart for holy purpose. That all these things in the tabernacle, these utensils and these furnishings and even the tent itself could be used for anything really until it was consecrated. And then it could only be used for the purposes of God. That's what this sprinkling of the anointing oil is for, to show the people, look, this is now set apart. This is now 
for the holy service. Before this anointing moment, the tabernacle was just a tent. The altar, a fire pit. The menorah, a lamp. The golden altar was an incense burner. The table of showbread was just a table. The ark was a box, and even the mercy seat was simply a lid until the anointing. And now anointed, these things are holy to the Lord. Verse 12. And then he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. Did you catch the difference? The tabernacle furnishings were sprinkled. Note the wording. But on the head of Aaron, the oil of anointing was poured. Two very distinct words. Sprinkled, the utensils and the furnishings and the tent itself. Sprinkled is yads. Yads in Hebrew is little spurts or spatters. Spatter a little here, spatter a little there, spurt a little bit here, sprinkle some there. But then he comes to Aaron, and, and I told Les today, you're going to love this. It's poured. This is poured, yitzok. Yitzok is the Hebrew word, sounds like soak. I like that. It's, it means to pour out, literally to overflow. And I think the psalmist is indicating this when he says in Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil upon the head. That word upon means over. Poured over the head, and then it describes it. Coming down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge or the hem of his robes. That means the anointing oil got all the way down to the hem. That's a lot of oil. We're not talking about a little sprinkling on the head that, that maybe a drop or two got on the shoulders, but it reached all the way down to the hem. We're talking about a pouring of anointing oil that took place as described in Psalm 133. In fact, it goes on and says, it's like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. Well, Hermon is in the north of Israel, and the mountains of Zion are down toward Jerusalem. That's a lot of dew. That's a lot of covering. And so the picture here is it comes on the head and drips down and gets all the way down to the hem of the garment of the robe. The psalmist concludes, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forever. The unity of the Spirit, the New Testament says, and the bond of peace. Hey, the anointing oil always in the Hebrew Scriptures always portrays the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Now, the Spirit is portrayed by many things in the Bible. Living water, we see that, but, but especially this, this anointing oil, such a, a graphic picture. And in the same way, we don't receive a sprinkling we receive yet sulk. We receive the outpouring, which is exactly what Peter explained at Pentecost as the Holy Spirit came upon the apostles, was poured out on them, all over them. He begins to quote the prophet Joel. He says from Joel 2.28, it will come out about after this that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind and your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. Even on the male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Aaron didn't get a sprinkling. He got a pouring of the anointing oil. And when you give your life to Jesus, when you come seeking his spirit, you don't get a sprinkling. You get the outpouring. 
You get doused. You get soaked. Jesus, along with John the Baptist, called it the baptism of the Holy Spirit. What do we just say about baptism? It's full immersion. Now, let's not, let's not mince words. Going back to baptism, baptizo, to submerge, is what the Greek word means. I know that some churches and some denominations have taken baptizo and said, well, no, no, we're just going to transliterate that into a little sprinkling. Well, it's not about sprinkling. It's about getting dunked, man. That's baptism. And then Jesus says, you're going to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. John said he's the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. We're talking full immersion. We're not talking a little sprinkle here. I got some spirit, just enough. No, you got more than enough. You are yet soak, poured out, overflowed with the Holy Spirit. Why? No one's been able to explain this to me yet. Why would anyone diminish the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on his people? Why wouldn't we want that? I'm not talking about weirdness. I'm not talking about strange fire. We'll talk about strange fire on Sunday. I'm talking about the Spirit of the living God poured out on his people as promised. I'll tell you, the longer I walk with Jesus, the more I recognize I need his Spirit all over me. I need his Spirit alongside me. I need his Spirit indwelling me. I need his Spirit upon me. More and more and more. We don't outgrow the outpouring. We don't mature into little messianic beings on our own. This is not like a, a child who is raised in a house, gets to a certain age, becomes independent, and then starts to head out and do their own thing. No, we need more of the Spirit. Now, my dear brother Don Coglin used to say, you can't get any more of the Spirit. He's already given all of himself to you. <laughs> He's right. But I need the Spirit more is what I'm saying. Have the outpouring. But boy, I, I need to be aware of and walking in the Spirit more and more and more. The older I get and the older this earth gets, the more we need to be baptized in the Spirit. And there's no other way to put it. Again, I'm just using a very biblical phrase, the baptism of the Spirit. We've talked about this before. I know that some have said that, well, Pentecostals say, well, that's our thing. And others have said, well, that's the Pentecostals thing. Let them have it. And that's, no, it's a Jesus thing. He's the one who said it. And if Jesus said it, brothers and sisters, I want it. You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now, he says. I want that outpouring. I need that outpouring to navigate these bizarre and difficult late days. Isaiah 11, verse 2. I have quoted this so many times. This is one of my life verses, and Les can't have this one. No, you can. I'll share this one. <laughs> this is for all of us. Listen, speaking of Jesus, speaking prophetically of Messiah, Isaiah chapter 11, verse 2 says, the Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. That tells you who he is. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and strength, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, the Holy Spirit. Some people, and I hadn't even thought about this before, but I, I'm, I'm really leaning this way, 
Some consider these to be seven descriptive titles in and of themselves. The Spirit of the Lord, who is also the Spirit of wisdom, who is also the Spirit of understanding, who is also the Spirit of counsel, who is also the Spirit of strength. And he's the spirit of knowledge, and he is the spirit of the fear of the Lord. All of these are descriptive titles of the Holy Spirit. The spirit who is mentioned 80 times, or just under 78, 79 times in the Hebrew Scriptures. Almost 80 times. 261 times in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit. 56 times you'll read about the Holy Spirit in the Gospels. 57 times you'll read about the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. 105 times the Apostle Paul will refer to the Holy Spirit in his letters. 43 more times in the letters of Peter, James, Jude, and the Hebrew pastor. The Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament scriptures. As described, Acts chapter two, in the outpouring of the Spirit of God on the apostles and to be on all of his people, the church, the called. In the Old Testament, he is primarily referred to as the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, and the Holy Spirit. The, the word spirit, ruach, in the Hebrew, is that uh, reference to him. Pneuma in the Greek, and both mean spirit, wind, breath, can, can mean any of those three. But again, in the Hebrew Scriptures, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit. When you come to the New Testament, he's called well, I'm going to give you a bunch of names here, and, and you don't have to worry about writing them down. I know you're looking at the verses tonight going, are you kidding me? <laughs> They're all here for you. I'm not even going to reference them, but all the names of the Spirit, and it begins with the first one is 1 Corinthians 3.16. So starting there and then going down the verse list, so grab your iPhone and just take a click, and then you'll be able to go back and you can look up these names if you'd like to later. But here are the names of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Spirit of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of Jesus Christ, Spirit of the truth, Spirit of holiness, Spirit of life, Spirit of grace. I like that. The Spirit of glory. He's also called, John 14, 26, the helper, the comforter. You may be familiar with the term the parakletos, the one who comes alongside. He's called, Hebrews 9, 14, the eternal Spirit, and finally, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 4, he's called, and I love this, the seven spirits who are before the throne. This is all reference to the one and same Spirit of the Lord. Note this in the Bible, he has never once given a name. Not because he's some ethereal, mystical ghost, but he's never given a name because he is the Spirit of the Lord. Spirit of the Lord is the Spirit of the Lord. He has a name, it's Yahweh. He has a name, it's Yeshua. He's been called Adonai, El Shaddai. All of these names are appropriate because this is the Spirit of the Lord. I was telling our, our staff earlier this morning, I know you guys know we have staff meeting on Wednesday, so that's why I always refer to earlier in the day with them. But we were talking about it, I said, if, if I were to give someone on staff my spirit, we wouldn't rename it Chuck. No, it would be the spirit of Rick if I could do that. I can't do that, thankfully. You can thank me now or later, but I can't give you my spirit. But if I could, that spirit would still be the spirit of Rick, my spirit. Spirit of the Lord is his spirit. And so 
That's why he's not given a name, because he has a name. This is the one and the same God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And it's not, you know, heads on a totem pole from Father down to Spirit. Son is second, Spirit's third, somewhere. No, it's, this is God. The three used the Trinity, we say, interchangeably in the New Testament. And by the way, sometimes it's Spirit, Jesus, Father. And sometimes it's Jesus, Spirit, Father. You might say, well, it gets out of order. No, no, they have roles. But this is one and the same God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So understand this. When we talk about anointing, as in the anointing oil, and I'm rabbit trailing a little bit, but I think this is so important for us to just have foundationally in our understanding of biblical doctrine. But when we talk about anointing, this is not a mystical, magical, essential oil. You know, we don't anoint people on the forehead so we can send them out of here smelling a little better than when they came in. <laughs> or to clear the sinuses, perhaps. We're talking about when we anoint, and when we talk about anointing oil, what we're referring to is the holy presence and power of God. A representation of his presence. Now, quickly, the New Testament gives us three prepositions that express the work of the Holy Spirit. Three unique ways that the Spirit works. And I already mentioned them. But so you see, biblically, John 14, 17, Jesus says, you know him because he abides with you. The word with is para. It means alongside. It's the same word that then is stretched out to parakletos, the one who comes alongside. That is the helper, we say, or <clears throat> some translations will say the comforter. He comes alongside to help out. John chapter 20. Oh, wait, before we get there, still in John 14, 17, we get the next preposition. So you know him because he abides with you, para, and will be in you, which is the Greek word, write this down because it's going to be hard to remember, in. <laughs> Just spell it E-N, in, in the Greek, and it literally means indwelling. So the Holy Spirit comes alongside, give guidance, direction, comfort, help, and he indwells you. As Peter said, repent and be baptized, Acts 2.38, every one of you, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's the promise of the indwelling Spirit of God, who no longer just has come alongside you, but now dwells within you. This is the same as Father and Son. Jesus said, my Father and I will come and make our abode with you. That's the indwelling Spirit of the Lord. So he comes alongside, para, he will be in, in, and then John chapter 20, verse 22, I think we see this actually happen, where Jesus breathed on the 11, actually 10 of the 11, because Thomas wasn't there, so he'd have to get breathed on later. And he said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Right there we know whose spirit it is. Jesus is graphically showing them, I'm going to breathe my spirit into you, the Holy Spirit. And at that point, the apostles, in that moment, and note this is very important to our theology and understanding, John chapter 20, verse 22, that's when the Spirit began to indwell the apostles. They received the Holy Spirit in them. But there's one more preposition. Acts chapter 1, verse 8 is the preposition epi, which means upon. Jesus said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
He comes alongside me to help. He indwells me as a believer in Jesus Christ, the promise of the gift, singular, of the Holy Spirit. But he also comes upon. Upon. That's the outpouring. Note that the apostles on Pentecost already had the indwelling spirit. How do you know? John chapter 20, Jesus had received the spirit. The spirit was already indwelling Peter and the boys. But suddenly something else happens, something further happens, and this is what I believe is and have described as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes upon them. They don't start freaking out, by the way. They don't start dancing around or barking like dogs or sticking to the wall. What do they do? They start worshiping. They start speaking in tongues, but the tongues are all the languages of all the people represented there, which is marvelous. I've actually called that a miracle, not so much of, of speaking in tongues, but speaking and hearing, because they all heard in their own language what was being said. And what were they saying? They're worshiping the Lord. They're praising God. And all the people hear them, Acts chapter 2 tells us, praising God. When that outpouring, that anointing, if you will, comes upon them, they begin to speak out, and they're praising the Lord. And that's when Peter said, this is what Joel was talking about. In the last days I shall pour forth of my spirit on all mankind. That is all who believe. Enough spirit to go around. That's the outpouring, as it were, like the oil poured over Aaron's head, dripping down his beard, getting onto his robes. In John 3, 34 John the Baptist says, for he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he, that is Jesus, gives the Spirit without measure. We're not talking about a little sprinkling. We're talking about the immeasurable Spirit of the Lord. Well, I, I don't know that I've ever had the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Ask him. It's that simple. Don't ask me. I mean, I'll pray with you. Sure, we can pray about that and seek the Lord together on that, but ask him for that outpouring. And you know what? You may receive that immediately. You may experience the outpouring of the Spirit on you immediately in ways that you did not expect. Or you may experience it over time. Or you may pray like I did for a long time before ultimately God surprises you at a time that you did not expect at all. But this is the promise, not of something strange, not of something weird. This is the promise of presence. This is God saying, I want to anoint my people to do what they would not otherwise be able to do in their flesh. The flesh profits nothing. Too many Christians out walking around in the flesh. So the anointing is offered. The anointing is that outpouring of the Spirit. And we see an example of that in he sprinkled some of the things, the furnishings and the utensils, but he poured some of the anointing oil on Aaron's head and anointed him to consecrate him. And the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about being consecrated to the work of God. That's the point. It is not to impress you or anyone else. It is not to walk around going, look at how righteous and holy I am. You're holy in that you're set apart. You're not holy in that you look any better than anybody else. So we're anointed for the work of God, set apart, consecrated to his 
holy work. Well, verse 13, priests and training continuing. Next, Moses had Aaron's sons come near and clothed them with the tunics and girded them with sashes and bound caps on them just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Interesting, they don't get anointed. The high priest is anointed. But the, and, and you know what, I'm, I'm assuming that they probably were or that Moses probably did anoint them, but it wasn't referenced, it wasn't referred to or called out in the narrative here. So I guess not important. I think it's left out for another reason, though. I'll show you in just a minute. Verse 14. Then he brought the bull of the sin offering, and Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the bull of the sin offering. Next, Moses slaughtered it and took some of the blood with his finger and put some of it around the horns of the altar and purified the altar. And then he poured out the rest of the blood at the base of the altar and consecrated it to make atonement for it. Weird. He also took all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat. Moses offered it up in smoke on the altar. But the bull and its hide and its flesh and its refuse he burned in the fire outside the camp just as the Lord had commanded Moses. Now that's the sin offering and we studied that and okay, he's following suit with what he's supposed to do with the sin offering but how strange is it that he makes atonement for the altar had the altar sinned? Remember, atonement simply means covering. So the altar is now covered. The blood now is placed at this ordination day. Remember, the altar has already gotten sprinkled with anointing oil, so it's already been consecrated. Now it's being purified. Now it's being covered and purified for this most holy use. So get those two words separate in your mind. There is anointing, which speaks of consecration for holy use. There is atonement, which is purification for holy use. Anointing is the oil representing the spirit. Atonement is the blood. And it's the blood that purifies, and it's the oil that consecrates. And so even the altar is now set apart for holy use, consecrated, and is purified for the receiving of the offerings by this blood. And it's all picturesque. It's all graphic. But there's a little problem here. Shouldn't it be blood before oil? Priests in training, think with me on this. Shouldn't it be blood before oil? That is purification first and then consecration to ministry second. That's how it is for us. You're not saved by the oil. You're saved by the blood. And you have to be saved by the blood before you're filled with the Spirit. So it's got to be blood first, oil second, purification first, consecration second. But that's not what we see here. We see Aaron first anointed. The picture of the oil poured out on him. And then we see he goes to the sin offering for the purification. Seems out of order. It's not. It's not. This is the beginning of the Aaronic priesthood, as I said. But Aaron, not the rest of the priests, the rest of the priests are emblematic of you and me. Aaron, as the great high priest of Israel, is emblematic of an even greater high priest, and that is Jesus. And with Jesus, the anointing came first. It was first anointing, and then it was offering. And, and staying absolutely true 
to his perfect explanation of things, the Lord has the high priest first anointed and then the sin offering is given. And that's the same with Jesus. Matthew 13, or 3, 16, after being baptized, he came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And John the Baptist says in John 1, 32, I have seen the spirit descending as a dove out of heaven and he remained upon him, anointing. The anointing of Jesus at his baptism, the oil of the Spirit coming upon him, anointing first, then blood would come later. But, but there's something else, and I'll just show you this, and we ran across this this morning. I think it's so amazing. Staying with this picture, there was another precious anointing that happened just before the blood. Anointing and then blood. Note this. This is Matthew 26, verse 6. Now, when Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume, and she poured it on his head as he reclined at the table. We know who that woman is. John tells us it's Mary. Mary, sister to Martha, sister to Lazarus. She pours this on his head. The disciples were indignant when they saw this, and they said, why this waste? For this perfume might have been sold at a high price and the money given to the poor. But Jesus, aware of this, said to them, why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed for me. You have the poor with you always, but you do not always have me. For when she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. What was the anointing oil for? Consecration. Setting apart for a holy purpose. Mary unwittingly pours the oil, the, the fragrant perfume. This what John tells us, pure nard. It's the most expensive fragrance. She unwittingly pours it out on Jesus. I, why? Because, because Mary's just, Mary is always there with Jesus. Mary seems to know what to do because Mary's always the one listening to Jesus. Remember, she's the one who was at Jesus' feet. And here she is again, and she pours out and Jesus says, she's preparing me. You might say, consecrating me for a holy work. That will be the sin offering that Jesus becomes himself. She did it to prepare me for burial. And then he says, truly I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. So we've just done that, haven't we? Go right back to Leviticus. So we see the anointing first and then the sin offering, and that's Jesus, first anointed, and then he offered himself, first the oil, then the blood. Verse 18, continuing, he presented the ram of the burnt offering. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Moses slaughtered it and sprinkled the blood around on the altar. When he had cut the ram into its pieces, Moses offered up the head and the pieces and the suet and smoke. After he had washed the entrails and the legs with water, Moses offered up the whole ram in smoke on the altar. It was a burnt offering for a soothing aroma. It was an offering by fire to the Lord, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. And then he presented the second ram, the ram of ordination. And Aaron and his sons laid their hands on the head of the ram. Laying their hands on the head. 
is very significant here. We see this with the sin offering in verse 14, with the burnt offering back in verse 18, and now in verse 22 with the ordination offering with all three animals. Before the animal is offered, Aaron and sons lay their hands on its head. And scholars tell us the laying on of hands here, even in the Hebrew language, is not just that they touched his head, it's that they laid heavily on the head of the animal. Why? Because this signified a transference. As they lay their hands on the head of the animal, there's a transference taking place that is symbolized. In the Hebrew scriptures, the laying on of hands can be a transference of authority, but in this case, it's a transference of sin. They're saying, all that is in us that is sinful, I am now transferring onto this offering, onto this beast, this animal. A transference of sin. And again, it's in the sin offering. And it's in the burnt offering. And it's in the ordination offering as they transfer the sin of their sinful selves onto the animal. Laying on of hands. In the New Testament, the laying on of hands also pictures a transference. It's a transference of the Holy Spirit. Laying on of hands, someone will receive the Spirit. We see this in Acts chapter 8. When Peter and John are sent down to Samaria to, to meet up with Philip because, man, lives are getting changed and people are getting baptized right and left. But in that case, God isn't letting any of them have his Spirit yet. Why? Because he's showing them something. Peter and John come down and begin to lay hands on people and they receive the Holy Spirit. There's a transference taking place. And it's done that way in Acts chapter 8. So the people of Samaria understand we are included in what was happening in Jerusalem. We are not discluded. We're included. We're part of this whole deal. And they laid their hands on them and saw that we are now, along with Peter and John, we have the Spirit of God. It's a beautiful picture. The transference of the Spirit. Or we also see the transference, if you will, of the spiritual gifts. We read on Sunday how Paul said to Timothy, kindle afresh the gift which was in you through the laying on of my hands. So Paul, at one point in Timothy's young life, laid his hands on him, and Timothy received, the Spirit of God received his gifting. I believe the gift of teaching was given to Timothy. So there's a transference that, that is symbolized in the laying on of hands here. And in verse 23, Moses then slaughtered it, that is the ram of ordination, he took some of its blood and put it on the, <laughs> this is just cool and a little freaky. He put it on the lobe of Aaron's right ear. So he's dripping with oil on the head and now he's dripping with blood off his right ear. What do you think about that, Deb? <laughs> and on the thumb of his right hand, bloop, bloop. And on the big toe of his right foot, bloop. He also had Aaron's sons come near. Moses put some of the blood on the lobe of their right ear and on the thumb of their right hand and on the big toe of their right foot. And Moses then sprinkled the rest of the blood around the altar. And we are not told why he did this, but I think it's kind of obvious. Earlobes, thumbs, and big toes, which is a great title for a sermon right there. <laughs> God's priests are supposed to hear his word and do his work and walk his way. Hear the word, do the work, and walk after the Spirit. Hearing, hearing produces faith. 
right? Faith comes of hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. So hearing produces faith. You know what faith then produces? Work. Work. You show me your faith without works and I say your faith's dead. Yaakov, James, talks about that in his letter extensively. If you have faith, it's gonna be seen because faith produces works. Work doesn't produce faith. It's the other way around. Faith comes first. And when I have faith in Jesus, you're gonna see it. Blood on the thumb. Blood on the earlobe. Hearing produces faith. Blood on the thumb. Faith produces work. But you know what? Too much work is done in the name of the man or the name of the woman or of the church or of the movement. Too much work is done propping up the celebrity in Christianity, which is so tragic. I don't know if you've heard about this, and I'm not gonna name him and get all into it, but we've had another pastor fall, another celebrity pastor of a big deal church has now confessed to an affair and, and has fallen and that, and that mess goes on and the world looks at that and says, oh, that's, and see, the problem is we're naming people. We're so impressed with the big names, the Christian names. Who's the big name out there today? I pray for those guys. I pray for any pastor of a large church whose name is known out beyond his flock because you know what? That's not a good place to be. The blood of sacrifice for the hearing of the word of God, the, the blood on the thumb for the work, but it's not the work of Rick, the work of man. It's the work of God that faith produces. It's the work of Jesus Christ. It's his blood, his blood that gets in the ears, his blood that's on the hands, as it were. And yes, hearing produces faith, and faith produces work, but ultimately, it's the spirit of God that directs our steps that teaches us how to walk in his way. I, I, I love this. Psalm 143. You might jot this down and note it because the psalmist speaks of all three. The hearing of the ear and the work of the hands and the steps of the feet. He says in Psalm 143, verse 8, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning. We go into the kitchen early in the morning on that cold hardwood floor and and I'll stand there making my tea and, and getting the sausage ready for the kids. We're big sausage eaters in the Crawford household. I'm getting that ready and just outside the window, especially in the springtime, I love to crack the window open because I hear, I hear the birds singing in the morning. It's just a sweet sound. And when the psalmist says, let me hear your loving kindness in the morning, what a great way to wake up. Wake up listening to grace. Let me hear your grace. My eyes open up and the day begins new. Let me hear your loving kindness in the morning for I trust you. He says, teach me the way in which I should walk. For to you I lift up my soul, my soul, my understanding, my reason. I give that over to you. Therefore, I can walk in, in your ways. He says, deliver me, O Lord, from my enemies. I take refuge in, in you. Teach me to do your will. For you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. So we hear his word, we do his work, we walk in his way. And the blood on the lobe and the thumb and the big toe was to signify all of that. By the way, by the way, so cool, and this is just a, a precursor to a chapter coming up. 
And there's some weird stuff coming up in Leviticus, so stay tuned. Blood on the ear, blood on the right thumb, blood on the big toe of the right foot. This is the exact same protocol that is used for the cleansed leper. Leviticus 14, 14. That's stunning. The high priest and the priesthood, the Aaronic priesthood of Israel, anointed to be priests, blood on the earlobe and the thumb and the toe. And it's the same thing they did for the leper. Because truly the difference between the priest and the leper, no difference whatsoever, the blood cleanses them both. Both needed the blood. Servants, priests in training, you need the blood. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter what disease you've come from, doesn't matter how bad your sin life was before, you need the blood. And it doesn't matter the heights to which you might climb in the name of Jesus. Doesn't matter how popular or celebrity you become. Doesn't matter how many great things you do for the Lord, you still need the blood because there's a leper back there in your past. And priest or leper, the blood is the cleansing we need. Verse 25, it tells us, well, verse 24, same thing, Aaron's sons got the blood on the lobe of the right ear, the thumb of the right hand, and the big toe of the right foot, and then Moses sprinkled the rest around the altar. And then, verse 25, he took the fat and the fat tail and all the fat that was on the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and their fat and their right hand and, and from the right thigh. Verse 26, from the basket of unleavened bread that was before the Lord, he took one unleavened cake and one cake of bread mixed with oil and one wafer, and he placed them on the portions of the fat and on the right thigh. So you got a stack of bread and fat, and then he put all these on the hands of Aaron and on the hands of his sons and presented them as a wave offering before the Lord. These guys got messy the very first day of their priestly ministry. By the way, priestly ministry is messy, just, just so you know. If you're going to serve the Lord, it's going to get messy. There's no way around it. There is no slick and clean church fellowship. There is no ministry on this planet that is without its messiness, its oils and its fat and its goo and its bread, and it's all just kind of stacked on there, and they take it in hand. I would love to have seen the look on Aaron and his son's faces. I mean, they knew it was coming. They knew what they were supposed to do, but now it's... <laughs> and what do they do? It's the first wave, actually, in Scripture, right here. They, they, they do the wave. The wave offering. Why? What's going on here? Why the wave? They're signifying, note this, they're signifying that their ordination was both from and to the Lord. These things are placed in their hands from the Lord and it's to the Lord. And they hold these things up as if to say, this is to you, Lord. This is our offering to you. This is our ministry to you. This is our ordination to you. And by the way, the word ordination that we see over and over here, it's not the same word in the Hebrew as consecration. The word ordination is miluim. Miluim means to fill up the hands. It's funny in the church, we have ordinations. Depending on the church, different ways of going about it. Here at the bridge, we like to make someone stand on their head for half an hour, then we'll talk ordination. No, I'm kidding. But different churches have different methods that they go by and standards for ordination and what you have to become to become an ordained minister, what you have to do. I've had people ask me, are you ordained? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah. 
My ordination was the elders of my church where I grew up handing me a piece of paper. You're ordained. There you go. Take care of your taxes. It was a beautiful, tear-jerking ceremony. Other churches do it various ways. My, my, uh, what, what would your dad be? He's not my father-in-law. He's my in-law, right, Josiah? So my in-law, Josiah's dad, had to go through classes and courses and training and all kinds of things to reach a point of ordination. That for the assemblies. Different churches have different ways of doing ordination. There's nothing in the New Testament that talks about this is what you have to do to be ordained. It's, no, you need to be anointed, right, and called. But ordination here, it's to fill up the hands. And we, we kind of take the lead from this priestly ordination, but I love how God does it. God says, here's your ordination. I'm going to fill your hands. So that you understand as your hands are being filled in this ordination process, you're being handed your ministry. You are not creating it. You are not developing it. You are not somehow pulling it together and saying, this is my work. No, it's handed to you. And you offer it to the Lord. To fill up the hands. To recognize your ministry is both from the Lord and then given back to the Lord. All that I have is from him. So therefore, what I have to offer him is first from him before it is to him. What is it that Paul said? For from him and to him and through him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. It's all his. I receive it from him. I give it back to him. That's how it works. Fill up my hands, Lord, with the offering that I now can offer to you. But remember in all of this, as they wave the offering, they immediately are going to put it right back on the altar to offer it up to God. They'll wave it to him, signifying this is from and to him, and then they do give it to him with the exception of Moses' portion right here. Moses, verse 29. Did I end on verse 29? Where did I stop? Wave offering. 28, Moses took them from their hands and offered them up on the smoke of the altar with the burnt offering. They were an ordination offering, a filling of the hands offering. For a soothing aroma, it was an offering by fire to the Lord. Verse 29, then Moses also took the breast and presented it for a wave offering before the Lord. It was Moses' portion of the ram of ordination, just as the Lord had commanded Moses. So there's a wave offering, and now this, this breast meat is for Moses. That's his portion. So what's beautiful about this, I love how this works. All that I have, God fills my hands I offer it back to him, and he provides my portion. He is sure to make sure. I, I'm, I'm covered. I, I, got, I got my food. I got my covering. I got my garments. He's got me. You know, so he provides that back. But I, I offer it all back up to him. But then this portion waved before him. This is Moses' portion. God always provides for his priests. We talked about that last week. He always provides for his priests. You seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Verse 31, then Moses said to Aaron and his sons, boil the flesh at the doorway of the tent of meeting and eat it there together with the bread, which is in the basket of the ordination offering, just as I commanded, saying Aaron and his sons shall eat it. The remainder of the flesh and the bread you shall burn in the fire. Skip down. Uh, skip. I, I already read verse 30, didn't I? Can't even follow my own notes here. <laughs> Bottom line, this is how it works. God fills our hands. We dedicate it to him. We offer it up to him. 
knowing that he provides for us, often from the very same offering we give to him, he provides for us. And it's like, and this is, this is the part I skipped, but you gotta hear this, it's like the little birds in the court. That's kind of what we're like. We're like the little birds in the court of the Lord. Psalm 84, verse three. The bird has also found a house and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. The psalmist says, he goes into the temple, looks around, there's birds everywhere. Who's taking care of the birds? God is. We're the little birds in the sanctuary. And God is taking care of all of our needs, but we just want to be where he is. And Jesus said, Matthew 6, 26, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow, they don't reap, they don't gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth more than they? All right, so look at verse 30 again. Moses took some of the anointing oil and some of the blood which was on the altar and sprinkled it on Aaron, on his garments, on his sons, on the garments of his sons with him. And he consecrated Aaron, his garments, and his sons, and the garments of his sons with him. Interesting, the blood on the robes suggests the sanctification of their ordination. The oil because now we got blood and oil that are mixed together and are sprinkled on the garments, the oil may suggest that they were being sealed to their priestly ministry. I'll let Spurgeon explain. He said, yes, brethren, we need to know that that double anointing, the blood of Jesus which cleanses, the oil of the Holy Spirit which seals us, it is well to see how these two blend in one, the blood and the oil, the oil and the blood. He says, it's a terrible blunder to set the blood and the oil in opposition. They must always go together. Spurgeon was a great believer in preaching the cross and in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He preached and taught that, and he was a Puritan. Interesting, the blood and the oil, they go together. And so now blood and oil are mixed and sprinkled onto the garments and Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.20, or 121, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. And perhaps that's what we're seeing pictured here. Blood and oil are sprinkled, and they would stain the priestly garments. Those beautiful crafted garments would now have oil and blood stains on them. Continuing on, verse 31. So then, as I read, Moses said to his sons, boil the flesh at the door of the tent of meeting, eat it together with the bread, which is in the basket of the ordination offering, just as I commanded, saying Aaron and his sons shall eat it, the remainder of the flesh and the bread you shall burn in the fire. And then he says, you shall not go outside the doorway of the tent of meeting for seven days until the day that the period of your ordination is fulfilled. He will ordain you through seven days days, the Lord is commanded to do as has been done this day, it's day one of the ordination, to make atonement on your behalf at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Moreover, you shall remain day and night for seven days and keep the charge of the Lord so that you will not die. For so I have been commanded. Thus Aaron and his sons did all the things which the Lord had commanded through Moses. Seven days. This was not a one-off event. Now I have been to some 
ordination ceremonies, and we've had some ordinations right here at the bridge. We have never done one, nor have I ever attended one that lasted seven days. God is not messing around. This is an important event. It takes a solid week. And note this, for a solid week, they will continue with the same offerings that they just offered up this day. Every day, they will be in a repeat mode to offer up the offerings of ordination, the burnt offering and the sin offering, the ordination offering, the second day, the third day, the fourth day, the fifth day, all the way through. Dealing with all of these things through the seven days. And then in between, they will remain at the courtyard. They'll, they'll stay there right there at the doorway of the tent of meeting, staying in the courtyard. They will take their meals at the doorway. They will work there. They will rest there. They will wait there. They will eat there. Then they will work there. They're going to rest there. They're going to wait there. They're going to eat there seven days until their ordination is complete. And what a place to do it. Psalm 84, which I quoted from earlier, but let me read it again. Psalm 84, verse 1. How lovely are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. We sing, how lovely are your dwelling places. The NASB translates it that way, but the word is tabernacles. How lovely are your tabernacles, O Lord of hosts. My soul longed and even yearned for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh sing for joy to the living God. The bird has also found his house. The swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young, even your altars, O Lord of hosts. My King and my God, how blessed are those who dwell in your house. Deb said it tonight, I'm so glad to be in the house of the Lord. I loved it when you said that. I just kind of brightened my spirit because you're right. Just to be in the house of the Lord with the people of God, worshiping him. And that's the point. That's the point. Don't miss this. That's the point of all of this. How blessed are those who dwell in your house. They are ever praising you. It's all about the worship. I mean, haven't we seen that? Last week, I think that's where we ended in our study, that worship is the highest function of the priest or the priest in training, as you are. Chapter 9. Chapter 9, continuing, says it came about on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself a calf, a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering without defect and offer them before the Lord. Then to the sons of Israel, you shall speak saying, take a male goat for a sin offering and a calf and a lamb, both one year old without defect for a burnt offering and an ox and a ram for a peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil for today the Lord will appear to you. So they took what Moses had commanded to the front of the tent of meeting and the whole congregation came near and stood before the Lord and Moses said, this is the thing which the Lord has commanded you to do that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. What's interesting here, that now day eight, so a week's gone by. See how time flies when you're having fun? A week's gone by, it's the eighth day, and on this eighth day, all the offerings are given but one. The only offering that is not required is the asham, that is the guilt offering. Why? Because there's no guilt incurred right now. There's no restitution required. That's what the guilt offering is about, you know, restitution, restoration, 
covering of guilt, making things right. Well, that, that's not necessary because this eight-day period, that's not what's going on. But note the sin offering in verse 2, the burnt offering, verse uh, 4, the peace offering, the grain offering, all four of those are offered up on this eighth day. Now, I like this. And pause just for a moment and notice this. It is the eighth day. The eighth day is a good day. The eighth day, the eighth day in the scriptures is the day of new beginnings. It's, all, it's the first day of the week. The seventh day is the last day. The seventh day is Shabbat. The seventh day is the Sabbath. It's the day of rest. At the end of the long work week, you have that rest time. But then the eighth day, starting over. You're starting new. You're starting fresh. The day of new beginnings. And I really like the way that sounds. If a day, as Peter said, is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day to the Lord, then from God's perspective, we've been here six days, right? The 7,000th year, the seventh day, well, that's the millennial kingdom. If my calculations are correct, the millennial kingdom portrayed as Shabbat, a perfect kingdom resting under the glorious administration of Jesus where the only election is yours. You know, your calling, the election of God, the elect, the called. And so we have that beautiful day, the seventh day, the 7,000th year, the millennial kingdom, Shabbat. So what's the eighth day? It's the day of new beginnings, new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. For behold, Isaiah 65, 17, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former things will not be remembered or come to mind. Revelation 21, 5, and he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. That's what I love. We talked about this in the Revelation study. I absolutely love that you get through chapter 20. You come to the kingdom which has been promised for the ages, promised to Israel, promised to the church to rule and reign with him as priests in his administration. You come to the kingdom and it's not over. You have a thousand years with Jesus and then what? The new day. Everything's new. New heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. It's fantastic. Well, back to this. It's been a week of daily offerings in this extended, extraordinary ordination service, and more offerings are required. Don't you think there have been enough? More offerings on the eighth day, not only for Israel, but first for Aaron. Aaron's got to offer his own sin offering and his own burnt offering, and then... He's going to go to the people and offer up the people's offerings. But he's got to start with himself. Why? Well, it's a reminder. High priest or not, he's got to get the covering of blood. High priest or not, he has to offer the sin offering because Aaron still has a sin nature. It's not until the great high priest, Jesus Christ, that we have a pure offering that is both the priest and the offering himself because Jesus is perfect. But all this has to happen, first for Aaron, the offerings, and then the offerings for all of Israel. Why? Verse 6, that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. Now buckle up, hold on tight. Verse 7, then Moses said to Aaron, come near to the altar and offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, that you may make atonement for yourself and for the people, and then make the offering for the people, that you make a, may make atonement for them, just as the Lord has commanded. So Aaron came near to the altar and he slaughtered the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. 
Aaron's sons presented the blood to him. He dipped his finger in the blood, put some on the horns of the altar, and he poured the rest at the base of the altar, the blood, and then the fat and the kidneys and the lobe of the liver of the sin offering. He then offered up in smoke on the altar just as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the skin, however, he burned with fire outside the camp, so he's following this prescription to a T. Then he slaughtered the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons handed the blood to him, and he sprinkled it on the, around on the altar. They handed in the burnt offering to him in pieces with the head, and he offered them up in smoke on the altar. And he also washed the entrails and the legs, and he offered them up in smoke with the burnt offering on the altar. Verse 15, then he presented the people's offerings. He took the goat of the sin offering, which was for the people, slaughtered it, offered it for sin like the first. He presented the burnt offering and offered, offered it according to the ordinance. Next, he presented the grain offering and filled his hand with some of it and offered it up in smoke on the altar besides the burnt offering of the morning. And then he slaughtered the ox and the ram, the sacrifice of peace offerings, which was for the people. And Aaron's sons handed the blood to him and he sprinkled it around on the altar. As for the portions of the fat from the ox and the ram, the fat tail, the fat covering, the kidneys, the lobe of the liver, they now placed the portions of fat on the breasts and he offered them all up in smoke on the altar. But the breasts and the right thigh Aaron presented as a wave offering before the Lord just as Moses had commanded. Note this, verse 22, then Aaron lifted up his hands toward the people and blessed them. And he stepped down after making the sin offering and the burnt offering and the peace offerings. Did you see it? Look at this. The bronze altar. Bronze altar that stood, forget about how tall it was, I think four and a half feet up, seven and a half by seven and a half square. And so to get up to the top of it where the grating was, where the fire was, where the offerings happened, they had a ramp. You would go up the ramp to get to the offering. Here in verse 22, Aaron has just offered up everything to the Lord. He's in the presence of the Lord. The congregation is gathered around and all he wants to do is bless. That's what happens. You just want to bless people when you're in the presence of the Lord, when he's provided as he's provided here. But there's something beautiful here. Aaron blesses the people where? On top of the altar. Aaron's up on the altar when I assume with arms spread wide, he blesses the people. The high priest, note this, the high priest is on the altar blessing the people. Unwittingly, Aaron again typifies the blessing of our great high priest, Jesus Christ, as he spread his arms and died on the cross of Calvary. Up on the altar, Jesus blesses the people. Hebrews Chapter 7, less read from earlier. I love when that happens. Hebrews 7.26 tells us, for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens, who does not need daily, like those high priests, to offer up sacrifices, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The greatest blessing ever given from atop the altar was given by Jesus on the cross. As he looked down and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Verse 23, Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting. Note this, that's the first time. 
That's the first time they've gone into the tent. They didn't go in yet. Remember, the glory of the Lord was too strong in there. They couldn't go in. Moses couldn't even go in. Now they go into the tent of meeting. When they came out and blessed the people, oh, the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. Then fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the portions of the fat on the altar. And when all the people saw, they shouted and fell on their faces. Well, wouldn't you? <laughs> oh, down we go. Because when the glory appears, we hit the deck. That's what happens. We think we know something of the glory of God. We know nothing of the glory of God. We have no idea of the potency and the profound power of the glory of God when he shows up. Now, Rick, I, I, I thought that God said, you can't see me and live, and so he didn't even let Moses see his glory. He just saw the backside of his glory, and now all the people get to see his glory. Yeah, well, how does that work? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. <laughs> can't figure it out. All I know is God said, I want you to do all of this. I want all these offerings. I want my priests ordained. I want the ordination to take place. The offerings must go up first for the priests, then for the people. And then I, I've got to show you the glory of the Lord before the people. And when the glory comes, they hit the deck. And so it is. Matthew 24, 30, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky and all the tribes of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. The earth will hit the deck when Jesus arrives in his glory. And you come with him to be glorified in him as he is glorified, the Bible tells us, with his or in his saints. Philippians 2, verse 10 at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who believe in Jesus, those who are priests in training right now who have received Jesus, you will declare him as Lord to the glory of God the Father. And you know what? So will the unbeliever. Because at that point, there will be no unbelief. Everyone will know. Not everyone will be saved but everyone will drop to the ground and declare Jesus really is the Lord. Ultimately, through all this, this is the point of the sacrifice of Jesus. Don't miss this. It's so that we might be purified and then sanctified. Why? So that the glory of the Lord may appear to you. This is where we're headed. This is what all the preparation is about. Don't be confused. We're not simply being prepared as priests for the millennial kingdom. Oh, we are. We're not simply being sanctified so that we can step into roles that Jesus will have for us at that time. Oh, that's true, but no, the bottom line, what it's really about is we are being prepared that the glory of the Lord might appear and we can be in his presence. That's what it's all about. God's glory. Jude writes, now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Jesus, we glorify you right now. We choose far ahead of time 
to bend the knee to you, to bow the head before you, to lift up hands that you fill. We come before you, Lord Jesus, to declare your glory, to offer praises of worship to you. Lord, because we trust you, because we believe in you, because we know that you have already purified us so that we can approach boldly. We know that you are in the process of sanctifying us in the truth. Your word is truth. We recognize, Lord Jesus, you're doing all these things in us and to us and through us. And so I pray, Lord, until you come, until you call us up into your glory, Lord, give us ears cleansed with blood that will hear and hands, Lord, covered with the cleansing blood to do your work and feet covered in the blood to walk in your way. Train us up, Lord, because, oh Lord, like Moses, we say, show us your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Give that to you. I'm going to, um, I want to read a blessing. And specifically, I want to read this blessing um, to all of our veterans. And as I read this blessing that is the ironic blessing, blessing of Aaron that God gave to Aaron, filled his hands to give to the people. Um, I want to specifically read this to our veterans. So if, if you are a veteran, in fact, can I, any of the veterans who are here, raise your hand. Okay, one, two, three, four in the back, and five. And so I'll tell you what, the rest of us, Veterans, I'm sorry, to, I don't want to embarrass you, but keep your hand up, and each of us, I want two or three to gather around each one of the veterans and, and lay hands on them, not heavy like a sacrifice, okay? Like hands of transference. We want to transfer a blessing now to our, to our veterans, and these are all those who have served, and you know what? The longer I'm here in Oak Harbor, the more I see. Those of you who have served, I don't care if it's four, eight, 28, how many years you've served, it's not easy. It is sacrifice. And Susan's up there. And upstairs. Susan's up top. So and Sarah, Kevin's hiding back get, there. Get a name. Yep, okay. So I need a hand on every veteran. Okay. All right. And we want to honor you all with this. So I will read this blessing, and I'm going to have my brother pray for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And I want to repeat it one more time, but listen as I read it because we've just heard from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This blessing is triune. The Lord, Father, bless you and keep you. The Lord, Son, make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord, Holy Spirit, lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen. That's what you pray for our Amen. servicemen and women. Father, um, immediately the word came to me. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes truly rich. He adds no sorrow to it, neither does toiling increase it. And Father, I pray for these brothers and sisters that have served in our country, Lord, under authority of our nation. But you have a higher authority. All power, all authority has been given unto me. Lord Jesus, we establish covering 
And as I use that word sorrow, sometimes, Lord, there's pain or things that have happened to these people in the military that have left either wounds or scars in their, in their spirit or their soul or their, even in their physical body. Lord, I pray for your healing grace and anointing. And especially anybody that served in Nam, Lord, there were some ugly things that were done in the past. We repent and apologize to our military, Father, for some of the way our citizens have acted toward them. Even our government has acted toward them. We break the power of that now in Jesus' name. We loose them from it so that the blessing can find ready entrance and be established, Lord, to restore order, kingdom order to be established upon them. We thank them. We bless them. We bless their households. We bless those, Father, also heads of households to be able to be establishing covering and protection over families and wives and children. We honor, O oh Lord Jesus, these precious ones in your holy name. And we bless them in the name of Jesus Christ so that the full intended purpose of the Father heart of God would rest over them, spirit, soul, and body in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to say one more thing to y'all. Wait, we're not done. You can, you can, yeah, move away. But, <laughs> but to those of you here and to anyone at home, any veterans at home listening, we thank you. We thank you here. This morning, I, I started my morning off watching as our president went to the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier at Arlington National Cemetery. Um, it's very moving, very meaningful. Meaningful to me, I've, I've been there several times. Cheryl and I lived in Virginia for several years when we did ministry out there, and so we often went to Arlington, and we, we walked there, and we watched the changing of the guard at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And it was very touching um, to watch and to be reminded again this morning of the sacrifice. And we want you all to know, and please hear this from our hearts, how much we appreciate the freedoms that you sacrificed for so that we could have. So be honored, be blessed in the name of the Lord, and we love and appreciate you all.